Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, my name's Tim, and welcome to Greater Alton Church, and it's good to be with you this morning. Now, we're in a sermon series called The Q. We've been looking at the questions that Jesus asks people, and um, I got six grandkids, so you know we get lots of questions, lots of questions about stuff. And uh, the other day, we were, happened to be uh, out and about in, a, in, a, in the pickup truck, and I had a couple of them with me. And I watched the classic uh, confrontation between mom and a child. And uh, I watched the, the, one of my daughter-in-laws say to one of my grandkids, uh, look, let me give you a choice. Would you like to do this or would you like to do that? I thought it was a great way to handle the situation. And of course, my granddaughter shot back, well, could we have another, another choice? Could you add a third one in there? I mean, she asks a question. I just thought that was funny. We all laughed about it. You know, Jesus asks over 300 questions uh, in the Gospels. And um, questions like, why do you worry? Or um, they're why questions. Why, if you call me Lord, why don't you obey me? Uh, there's questions, he'll ask uh, even who questions. Stuff like in a crowded room where people are all, the Bible says, crushing him because there's so many people. He says, uh, who touched me? Or uh, who is my mother and brothers? Who are they? Uh, he, he'll ask questions like, what do you want me to do? Uh, what do you have? Today I want to look at one of these questions that, that Jesus has. And, and why are we looking at these questions, you might ask? Well, one of the reasons is because questions play a big part in learning. Lou Holtz, coach from Notre Dame, once said this, I never learn anything talking I only learn things from questions. And uh, so the questions of Jesus, they help us learn some things. They play a big part in this. They, they make me think. They open our eyes. And it's in these questions that you and I discover insights. We get clarity to things. Uh, we actually learn some vital principles to live by. And that's, so today I want to look at a particular question uh, that Jesus asked his disciples one time when he had them all by themselves. It's found in Luke, I'm sorry, in Matthew 16. Here's what it says. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, well, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now the 12 had been with Jesus here a long time about three years. They've heard his teachings. They've watched his life closely. And they've witnessed his miracles in person. And as the day of the crucifixion inches closer, he decides to take these guys on a little trip. He wants to get away from everybody. And so he goes 120 miles outside of Jerusalem to a little town or a place called Caesarea Philippi. Now, it's, it's, it's in this town... He is completely away from any Jewish critics or anything like that. He's just got the 12 with him. But in this town of Caesarea Philippi, you find 14 pagan temples. There are Syrian and Greek gods that are worshipped in this town. You find uh, also in this town a large Roman temple dedicated to the emperor, the worship of the emperor. Also in this town, there happens to be the source of the Jordan River. 
Um, and so you have all this religious and political, social significance in this town. And just imagine, here is a carpenter's son with 12 ordinary men in the middle of this town, and he's, he's asking them an important question. See, Jesus needs to know, has he wasted his time on these guys? Do they know who he is? And so to break the ice, he asks them a question he knows they can answer. He says, what are the polls saying about me? What are people saying about me? And he gets lots of answers. But then he brings another question, another question to the group. And uh, this is what he says here in Matthew 16, 15. But what about you, he asks. Who do you say I am? I mean, I can just imagine for a minute, you know, here's a small group. And if you've ever been a part of a small group, you know, everybody's talking. You can ask a question, a very generic question. Everybody's talking about it. I mean, I'm sure you've had lots of questions about COVID-19 or the political, social climate right now in America or uh, talking about where to shop, what movies. I mean, it's like whatever, whatever people are saying. What's the latest thing you've seen on the news? And I can just imagine the chatter. And, and uh, then Jesus drops this question and it's dead silent. I've been a part of groups that do that. You know, we're talking about everything else, and then I'll say, So, how's it going this week for you? And it's real stone quiet. You can hear a cricket. And that's what's happening here. I can just imagine. I can, I can see the disciples looking at each other and going, uh, You want to take this one? Anybody? And then Peter kind of going, Sure. And then Peter speaks up. And it's in this quiet place that this question, this personal question, he answers. And it says here in verse 16, Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. You know, Jesus already knows. If he knows the hearts of men, he already knows what they think of him. Yet he asks this question because he wants to hear what he means to them. And not only does he want to hear it, he wants his disciples to hear each other what they think of him as well. He wants to hear, he, he knows it's important that disciples talk about him and what, what, what Jesus means to them. And he wants to hear their commitment because that's what Willie Peter is saying here. He's saying, you're the Messiah. He's making a commitment to Jesus here. And I want you to know this, this morning, Jesus wants, to, wants you to answer this personal question too. And so what I want to do is I want to ask why. Why is this question so important? Why is it important on how I answer this question? Why is it personal? And uh, this question, it makes you and I realize something. It helps us re realize two true or four truths here um, in this simple statement. Let's go through them here. Okay, why is this question so important? Well, first of all, because what I believe about Jesus cannot be secondhand. It has to be personal. You know, Jesus asked, what are the polls saying? What do people say about me? Now, why ask, why ask that? Well, people listen to polls. People are affected by media. Do I have to really say that? You know that already, don't you? And this is not new. What we're going through right now and what we, the media and the impact of media or polls uh, that we listen to them. This is not new. When Jesus was confronted by Pilate, 
when you check it out, you find out that Pilate comes walking in and asks Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And look at uh, Jesus' reply. He says, do you think, did you think of that yourself? Or did others tell you about me? He's asking, are you asking yourself? Or is it because of something you've heard from someone else? And people, people still do this today. We do this. People base their faith on Christ by what's cool, what's trending, their idea of Jesus by their peers, by tradition. And see, when, when I start forming what I believe about Jesus based on what's popular, that's reckless. And letting others, listen, letting others think for me is foolish. Even Acts 17, the Bereans, the Bible says, search the scriptures to see if what Paul said was true. They just didn't take his word for it. They wanted to hear from God himself. And so it's so important that, I, that you and I understand our faith, my faith, your faith, it needs to be ours. It, it can't stay secondhand. You know, a woman at the well, Jesus is talking to her and she goes into town and starts talking about Jesus and the people come out and they listen to Jesus. And this is what the people say. They said this to the woman in John 4, 42. First, we believed in Jesus because of what you told us. But now we believe because we heard him ourselves. See, no one can believe for you. It's got to be your faith. And, 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 and Jesus wants you to experience a personal discovery of who he is. He can't be based on someone else. That's the first reason this, this question is so important to answer. How you answer it's going to determine if it's going to be somebody else's faith or your own. Second thing is, this, this question is so important and it helps you realize something, that my perception of Jesus shapes my perspective. Again, my perception of Jesus shapes my perspective. In other words, it shapes my viewpoint my angle, my take, my outlook, my approach. It, it shapes how I see the world, what I expect in life, what I expect from God. How I see Jesus also helps me how, and how I respond to pain, to disappointment, even success. My perception of Jesus even forms my purpose in life. It has a big impact on that. Let me read something to you. This is a quote. It says, In boundless love as a Christian and as a man, I read through the passage that tells us how the Lord at last rose in his might, seized the scourge to drive out of the temple the brood of vipers and adders. How terrific his fight for the world. You know who said that? Adolf Hitler. Here's another quote. Jesus was the first socialist, the first to seek a better life for mankind. Take a guess who said that. It was a communist, Mikhail Gorbachev. You know, the socialism that we're hearing about from Russia doesn't come close to what Jesus was talking about. I have an article you can find on our website. 
at greateraltonchurch.org if you'd like to read about it. Was Jesus a socialist? Some people believe he was. Kind of clears it up. But look at this other, there's another quote. A man who was completely innocent, talking about Jesus here, offered himself as a sacrifice for the good of others, including his enemies, and became the ransom of the world. It was a perfect act. You know who said that? Gandhi. And I love this quote. Jesus Christ was an extremist for love and truth and goodness. Who said that? Dr. Martin Luther King. I want you to see the connection here. How they look at Jesus and live is not coincidental. It's connected. You see, if I, you and I, if we see Jesus as harsh and tough, we're going to tend to be harsh and tough on people. If you and I see Jesus as a selfless servant, you're going to find yourself being selfless and developing the nature of a servant. See, Jesus was seen by Peter as the Christ, the Messiah. And look what it does to him here in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. He says, you believe in God through Christ. Here it is, the faith. Here's your view. Here's your view of God. You see God through Jesus. God is the one who raised him from death and gave honor to him. And look what it says the results are. So your faith and your hope are in God. Peter's saying, because of my view of Jesus, because of your view in Jesus, you can have, you have faith, but you also have an expectation, a hope in what God can do. He gets more specific in the second book, 2 Peter 1, 1. Look how he says it. Look how he sees himself, how Peter sees himself. From Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. By the way, I want to tell you, Christ is not the last name of Jesus I just want to make that clear, okay? Uh, but it's, he's trying to say Jesus the Christ. And notice he's, he's seeing himself as a servant and one sent, an apostle that's sent to teach. He says, To everyone who shares with us in the privilege of believing that our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now he's calling Jesus God and Savior and Christ. And look what it says here. That well, he will do what is just and fair. You see, Peter's expectation, his hope, his confidence is built by how he sees Jesus and it's built in the confidence that God is going to do the right thing. And when your perception of Jesus is accurate, you too will experience this security and confidence that God is going to take care of you and will always do what's best. What's the third thing? Let me give you a third reason why this question is so important. And here it is. Because how I see Jesus defines His relationship to me. You know, other people are saying about Jesus, He says he took a poll, he goes, Who, what are people saying? Well, you're, you're John the Baptist. And the way you talk, the way you carry yourself, you're very bold, you're very straight. Some say you're Elijah. I mean, Elijah did some incredible miracles and you've done some incredible, incredible miracles. You're like, a, you're like Jeremiah. How am I like Jeremiah? Well, you know, you're emotional, you're, you're passionate about what you believe in. 
These sound really complimentary when you stop and think about it. I mean, think about it. You're compared to John the Baptist, Elijah, and Jeremiah, and then it says, and other prophets as well. It just, it's just amazing here. But see, Jesus wants more than my admiration. He wants more than compliments. See, Peter is saying something else about Jesus when he answers, when he says this. And let me show you the amplified version of this passage. Here's what it says in the amplified version, Matthew 16, 16. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ. And then the amplified version adds these words, the Messiah, the anointed, the son of the living God. You see, not only this is, um, how do I say this? This is not the only time that Peter calls Jesus Christ or Messiah or the anointed. He repeats these descriptive ideas, these descriptive phrases over 40 times. You find some of them in the book of Acts. You find, find them in First and Second Peter as well. Now, why is he doing this? Why is he emphasizing this? In fact, if you were to take Matthew 16, 16 and go to Bible Gateway and look up that verse and then type, uh, hit the, the place where it says uh, other translations and count how many of these translations refer to Jesus when Peter says the Christ or the Messiah, you're going to find almost half of them use Christ or Messiah and a few say anointed. Why? Why does he use these terms? Because these terms and phrases are the terms you use for a king, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed. And see, today people will say things like, well, Jesus is a good man, or he's a good teacher, and they'll even, some people will say, and he's a savior, and they'll even say, he's my savior, but he's not their Lord. And again, I want to tell you, Jesus wants more than your admiration. And see, to Peter, he was more than a mere man. Napoleon one time said, uh, I've known a lot of men and Jesus was no mere man. And Peter doesn't see Jesus as just anybody, a buddy, a chum, a person he can listen to or turn off. Now he regards, regards him as something else. He puts him in a different place. In fact, he says to do that. He asks us to do that in 1 Peter 3. He says, but in your hearts revere. What's that word revere mean? It means to regard or dedicate or set apart Christ as Lord. He says, I want you to set him apart in a special place. He's saying it's a special commitment like no other. Just like a couple when they get married, they have a special commitment as a husband or as a wife. There's nobody else. It's the same as in, in this situation where Jesus must be the King and Lord of all. In other words, Peter is saying, look, I see Christ as my King up here, but I see myself here under Him, under His authority. He's the one that's ruling, not me. Let me ask you this morning, how do you see Jesus? Let me tell you how you find the answer. Where do you place him in your life? Are his, are his words only suggestions to you? Advice that you can take or leave? Are they the words, are they commandments and principles of a king that loves you 
and thinks what's best for you. Here's the final reason. final reason this question is so important. And that is that my conclusion of Jesus affects the condition of his church. You know, set this up, let me first say this. You know, the Bible uses the term rock to refer to God. Let me give you a couple of passages that uh, show us this. Here in Deuteronomy 32.4, the Bible says this, He is the rock. He works, his works are perfect, and all of his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. Here's one that you might be more familiar with. It's in 2 Samuel 2.2. And this is what it says. There is no rock like our God. Kind of like the psalm. And see, uh, so the Bible tells us that God is the rock. But did you know the Bible also refers to people as rocks? In in, uh, Psalms 51 verse 1, and you can look this up if you like, Isaiah is encouraging Israel to remember Abraham, the rock in which you were hewn, it says, to remember Sarah, the quarry in which you were mined. Now, what's he talking about there? He's, well, Abraham and Sarah, were, they, they, you know, Abraham was the father of, the faith, of faith. And you, you go back to Abraham as the man who trusted the Lord. You read Hebrews, you hear about Abraham over and over again, about his faith, his solid faith in God. Or to imitate that faith. Well, when Peter answers this question, look what Jesus says here in Matthew 16. He says, God has blessed you, Simon, son of Jonah, Jesus said. For my Father in heaven has personally revealed this to you. This is not from any human source. He says, listen, you didn't, this is not somebody else's belief. This is not somebody else's faith. This is not something that's popular. It's not what's trending. No, you've decided to, and you've decided to believe this. And Peter your observations are based on not what other people are saying, but what God has said. You've got it. You've got it, buddy. You're the first one to catch it. And then he goes on to say in verse 18, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now I know the word Peter's, the name Peter means a little pebble, and, and, and here's the word rock means boulder. Uh, people will say that. And there's a lot of uh, views and attitudes about this passage. Is he talking about popes here or whatever? I want you to think about this. Jesus is saying, Peter, you're the very first guy to discover that I am the Messiah. You're the first one to get it. You're the first one to say it. You're the first one to say it, that I'm the Christ. This is not your parents' faith that you've got. This is not based on tradition. It's not what your friends think. No, this is yours, Peter. And like rocks and bricks, like solid material, I'm going to build my church on people like you. I want you to know this morning, God is wanting more building material. He's after that. Look what Peter says, who make up the church, building the church. Even Peter said this, as you come to him, the living stone, he goes, as you come to Jesus, believing, trusting, believing who He is. He's the living stone. He's a rock. He's the rock. It says, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Have you noticed He's saying, He's saying, look, 
Just like Jesus, you've been chosen by God. And you're being used to build His church, this spiritual house, this special place of God. You know, Hebrews talks about the kingdom being unshakable. How is it possible it's so unshakable? Well, the chief cornerstone is Jesus. And the rest of the rocks that are connected to Him, who believe who He truly is, make the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and even the living stones that follow. They make the church solid and secure. You and I have an impact on the health and, and, and the overall integrity and strength of your church. Let me ask you this. I mean, do you wonder how significant you are? You ever wonder that about that? Hey, Chrissy Harders, you ever wonder how significant you are? Mike and Cassie, you ever wonder? If you're significant, hey Mike, Mike Ifmeyer, yeah. You ever wonder if you're significant? Melissa, Melissa Nelson, you ever wonder your past, ever cross your mind? Hey Jim and Nona, has it ever come, ever, you, know, you ever think about that? I do. Caitlin, you ever think about your significance? Chelsea, you know, Alan's over here. We think, do we count? Do we matter? Let me tell you, you matter big time. Bob Stanford, Willie, you matter big time. Jeff and Jill Dupe, you matter big time. Caitlin Wolf, you're significant. You know why? Because when you embrace and you believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the Christ, you help Greater Alton be a great place. You help Greater Alton be the church that Jesus is trying to build. You see, it, it has a big impact. Let me ask you, the rest of us, let me ask you this. How are you affecting the health of Greater Alton? And if you're not a part of a, this particular body, how are you affecting the overall health and stability and strength of the church you're a part of? especially now of all times. Let me tell you, I answered that question. It's how you really what you think about Jesus. You see, churches, the kingdom, Greater Alton or wherever you are going, cannot be built on second-hand faith. It can't be built on what's popular and trendy. It's only built by people, ordinary people like you and I, who are in the middle of a lot of different gods and a lot of different ideas and a lot of different concepts. Jesus sits there and sees it, this brings us to this world, showing everything around us that's so confusing. And he's asking, look, I know other people are saying this about me and your mom and dad may have said this about me or your friends may be saying this about me, but what do you think? That's the question he's asking you this morning. He's asking you, Will you have your own faith? He's asking you this question from Matthew 16, 15. But what about you? Who do you say I am? How will you answer that? Let me encourage you. 
let me encourage you to look deep into Jesus. And also, take some time this week to talk to someone about what you believe about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you, Father, for your love, for your power. Father, I just know that, you know, our idea of of your son, Jesus, what we think of him does is vitally connected to how we carry ourselves in this world. And Father, I just pray for everybody that's listening, everybody that's watching, that you'll help us have our own personal faith, that we won't settle for secondhand faith. I think about people who at one time looked so strong in the faith, but when someone else either fell away or walked away from God, they crumbled. Father, where is our faith? Is our faith really in your son, Jesus? How do we see him? Do we just see him as a good person? I don't want to just admire you, admire your son, Lord. None of us want to do that. Help us really, truly be committed and do more than admire, but revere, revere Jesus as the Messiah, as the King of Kings. Help us to live this way, Father. Help us incorporate every decision we make, every, everything we look at, we see through the King's eyes, through the Lord's eyes. That's what we pray, Father, in Christ's name. Amen.